Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Snohomish County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee, and today we are talking about being a queer music therapist with board-certified music therapist, V. Fansler. V. works with children, youth, and families in transition. Additionally, with five years of clinical experience, they supervise music therapy staff and interns as senior music therapists at the Snohomish County Music Project. In the final stages of their Master's in Music Therapy, their work centers trauma-informed care and the political nature of therapy, highlighting the ecological link between individual and communal well-being. Before we begin, here's a quick little note from V. Thanks, Erica. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the word queer. So I'm going to be using the word queer quite a bit throughout these episodes, and I'm going to use it in several different ways. But until such, unless I describe another way of using it, I'm going to mainly be using it as an identity and as sort of an umbrella term for the LGBTQ plus community. And there's a few reasons why I tend to use the word queer rather than that acronym. One being that it's just a little bit less awkward to say out loud. Another one being that listing out all of those letters, there's always identities that are being left out. And so it creates sometimes preference or privilege within the whole spectrum. Another thing I like about the word queer is that it gives us one unifying word to speak about identities related to gender and sexuality that are seen as deviant or non-normative rather than sort of being like this cohort of very separate things jumbled together. And then finally, I really like for me, the political implications of the word queer. So to me, it represents not only an umbrella over each of those identities, but also kind of some wind under that umbrella that destabilizes the entire notion of static, rigid identities in the domains of gender and sexuality, even being like a construct that is really solid. And for me, I also really like that queer is a word that is being reclaimed. So some might say that it has been reclaimed, but also language is always active and always evolving. So I think it's fair to say that this word is always actively being reclaimed. So it originated as a slur being used against our community. Um, And so I really appreciate the power of a word being reclaimed where, you know, a group of people that came before me really have said, you know, you can't use this against me if I'm actually not ashamed of it. But with that being said, especially for queer elders, this is a word that can have a lot of trauma tied to it. So it's always important, especially if you're not a member of the LGBTQ community, to check in with people about what their preferences are regarding this language. Because this, this is one of those words that can be, for someone like me, something that feels very um, liberating. Um, but for someone else, it can feel triggering. So, yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast again. Yes, I love it's it. It's been a while. We've missed you, but we're so glad you're back. Mm-hmm. Can you just start with for us a little introduction, maybe to who you are personally, what your journey has been as a queer person, various stages of that, etc. Yeah. So in terms of my queer identities, uh, I'm a non-binary queer person and 
I identify as non-binary or genderqueer in terms of gender and as queer in terms of sexuality. And so I've had sort of two different like coming out or coming into or learning myself kinds of journeys with those two different strains of identity and in the ways that they kind of intertwine. So um, I was someone who just didn't really think of myself as a person with a body until (laughs) um, I left home. I was 18 or 19 and I had just been very in my head. And when I look back on that, I think, you know, that being a queer person in Kansas and in some of the like religion communities and even just, you know, kind of my geographic area and all of those things played into the ways that I maybe cut off parts of myself, cut off aspects of my embodiment. Um, And so I didn't have an experience that some people have and that, you know, a lot of the youth that I work with have of like knowing an identity about myself and actively closeting it through like middle school, high school, like that adolescence period. I just kind of had a block. So for me, in a lot of ways, coming out, quote unquote, was also me coming into uh, my own sense of self and learning about that. So for me, the word queer and learning that it even was a word and what it could mean was really important for me in finding something that I identified with. So for me, the political nature of what it means to be queer, the fluid nature of what it means to be queer, that I didn't have to sort of define an identity and know that to be true about myself forever and ever was helpful. And so then sort of similarly, in the last couple of years, learning what non-binary identity was or learning what genderqueer identity was gave me the space to learn these things about myself or to play with and experiment and discover things about myself too. I had sort of known of non-binary genders but not really understood what that could mean. And so being in closer relation with other non-binary people, and actually especially non-binary music therapists, created space where I was able to have some realizations about myself and like, oh, this makes sense why some of these things have always felt a little bit dissonant or just sort of like, I wrote a poem called Woman is a Loose-Fitting Garment. I had this gender that like, I could fit into or I could sort of like let it hang off of my body, but it wasn't something that really fit me. It was something that I was like able to kind of make work, you know, but, um, and that there were gifts about it. You know, there were things about womanhood and especially like lineage and stuff like that, that I could really honor, but that I could also recognize like this doesn't really personally fit me in the most me way. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. For listeners that don't know, this whole conversation is a little bit more interesting to me than maybe other Mm -hmm. conversations I would have. 
with queer people about their queer identities because V and I met and started working together at like, for at least for me, it was a very like, I was still forming identity and like just transitioned freshly out of undergraduate degrees. And we were both new professionals. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't regularly have conversations about our personal identities all the time and like how that's changing and growing and evolving and but I've like been here working with you alongside you and on these journeys that I can like think back to like when you reference certain time periods in your life I'm like oh yeah Mm. like I can like remember who you were and how you presented yourself and how you expressed Mm. yourself now six years later yeah I can recognize how that has all evolved and how you've evolved as a professional and as a music therapist which brings me to my next question is (laughs) how does this evolution of who you are and coming into these identities how does that impact your work as a music therapist in terms of like client relationships Mm. and then how does that impact your relationships with just like other professionals whether they are music therapists specifically or like educators, social workers, Mm -hmm. anybody else you're encountering on a professional basis? Yeah. Um, Wow. There's so many ways I'm thinking of to answer that. So one thing that is coming to mind right away, I mean, first of all, of course, the way that I show up in a space impacts everything about the space. Mm -hmm. So, um, everyone that I interact with has their own kind of schemas, like whole worlds of ideas around everything about how I look, how I speak, what I, you know, the ways that I present myself around queer people in general, um, around, you know, not to mention like the ways that my other identities, like, you know, me showing up as a white therapist or a white queer therapist specifically can impact people differently. Um, So all of those, you know, the ways that I present myself in a space affects it. And for some people, it might make them feel safer, like, especially when we have shared marginalized identities, like, that can be really significant. Like, I think to myself often, when I was an adolescent, I didn't really know any out queer adults. Like, there are people who now I know were in my life at the time and were queer, but they weren't out to me. Same. Yeah. And if I had known people in close intimate relationships, like what we have in, in music therapy, who just existed being queer, I wonder so much how that would have impacted me. And if there would have been anything that sort of awakened in me sooner or if I would have had language you know what that even awakened in me when I when I had access to it uh, I wonder what that would have meant for me but conversely also you know there are plenty of negative stereotypes about queer folk definitely early on as a student and when I had other jobs I was concerned about stereotypes that you know if people have quote-unquote deviant sexualities that they're not safe to work with children and things like that where other people may feel really 
frightened or alarmed or like walking on eggshells. Like people can have a whole range of responses to just me showing up and sort of being visibly queer. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I think in terms of my therapeutic paradigm, I think that my queer identity impacts my idea of authenticity. For me, I learned a way of understanding gender and that brought me insight as to how I had felt in relation to the other ways of, you know, the sort of binary ways of understanding gender that I'd grown up with. And it made sense why I had felt some dissonance with that. And then for me, like trying things on and playing with the ways that I present myself helped me understand what of gender, you know, what of my assigned gender or what of gender in general I wanted to keep and what I wanted to throw away and what like felt really nice and warm and snuggly and what felt like useful for certain purposes, but I could set down again. Um, And for me, all of those things are authentic. Mm. And the ways that I present myself inform the ways that I understand myself and vice versa, right? The ways that the more I learn about myself, the more I can present a version of myself that feels integrated. So for me, I think authenticity feels like something that can be like always true and changing and fluid rather than being like a static sort of nature thing. I've been shaped by the relationships I've been in and the communities I've been in and the language that surrounded me and all of this my whole life. So I think that does impact more broadly the ways that I think about um, being alongside people in learning about themselves. Hmm. I really love the your your philosophy on authenticity that it's this fluid evolving thing and Mm. it's not static I think um there's just in the world in general there's just too much of in my world there's too many people that are saying like everything is like this absolute and that there are there's like lack of recognition of spectrums Mm. and even in things that I find true and believe to be true there's still like gray area and there's still spectrum and there's Mm. I think there should still be allowed this evolution of Mm. being right I don't I I think if you are stuck on a static point Mm -hmm. that that's not a good thing like I've I have some concerns and like red flags about like yeah. If, if you're just static and like yeah. this one thing is static, like shouldn't things always be growing and evolving? And, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. The, I'm excited for when we talk about queering and queer theory more because that's so much of what queer theory speaks to is like mm-hmm. we're given these options that are like static, binary, this or that, black and white. And queer theory is like, what about colors and gray areas and destabilizing and like pictures made of all the colors you know um and I think music is so so like beautiful for that 
way of describing identity. There's a, a section in the book, White Oleander, which is my wife's favorite book. And it talks about how words are so static, like chair, stone, you know, as soon as you put something in words, it's like this and not that, like maybe particularly in English, right? It's like pretty rigidly defined sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And in music, we can express, you know, rather than being like, oh no, am I bi or pan or queer? Like, what do these words mean and not mean? We can sort of describe ourselves in ways that layer our multiple identities together and that reflect the ways we change over time and that aren't, like, limiting in the ways that we understand ourselves but can be helpful and defining and also expansive. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so on board with you. So on board. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> um, okay, so you kind of described how your queerness, like how do you bring that into space and affects the context of it. And context matters in like all spaces. Yes, um, yes, yes. Can you tell me about the work you're doing? So you're a queer music mm. therapist. How does it impact the types of people you're working with, the programs you're developing? Mm. Um, I'm particularly curious about, I know you're doing some clinical work with youth in schools, that kind Mm. of thing, but you're also the director of our internship program at the Music Project. And so how does that inform your internship and how you create that experience for somebody? Yeah. So our next episode is about music therapy and LGBTQ people. So I'll talk more about the clinical piece probably in that one. Great. Um, But yeah, something that's really important to me is the idea of lineage and representation. You know, queer people, I think we're really good at sort of building family, or at least one of the ways that we're able to survive is by building family, because family rejection can be such a big part of you know, of queer people's experiences. And I think that we similarly have lineage like that. Like I think so much about in general, how I'm able to exist out loud and have the life that I have because queer folk came before me who were willing to really put themselves on the line and fight for our right to exist. Um, And that's true even within this field that there's queer folk who are, you know, generations um, older than me, who have created space so that I can be a queer music therapist and not be like, A, like, this is my one thing about me is that I'm queer and that's what we're going to talk about anytime we talk. (laughs) And B, just feel safe enough to leave that identity activated and not be walking into professional spaces very often like oh do I need to shut this part of myself off so I think that's really important to me in creating space for me and from that it makes me think a lot about what is my role in creating space for music therapists who are just entering the field or who may enter the field in the future like I really want music therapy to be a field where who we are is reflective of the communities that we're in and the people that we serve. 
and where it's not just that we let people in to this sort of dominant thing. It's that we become a field that is friendly to people of marginalized identities. We don't just have to be like, this is my identity. And so I'm going to foster growth in people who are just like me. I think in activating identities that are outside of the dominant norm, we make space for, for folks outside of that dominant space more broadly than we sometimes consider. So with the intern, you mentioned the internship. Mm-hmm. That's something that's really important to me because well, internship is such a pivotal time in our professional development. It really shapes so much of who we are and how we conceive of the field and how we conceive of ourselves within the field, all of that. So it's this really sacred half of a year or so. Um, or longer. And, yeah. And I think the supervisory relationship is really important as well. It can be really foundational to a lot of things. So, because we're trying to foster a field that is friendly to people of marginalized identities and that reflects the communities we serve, it's really important to me in internship that we seek out people who come from spaces that come from spaces of marginalization and who understand how power and hegemony operate because of those lived experiences and marginalized identities and who can be self-relevant role models for clients based on those shared identities. The internship with us is very grounded in like understanding cultural identity and understanding ourselves in cultural context. Um, And so there's a lot of personal work that goes into that. There's a lot of like, reading and theory to understand those things that goes into it and then in relation to clients we're always thinking about what are the cross-cultural dynamics like what are the shared identities that we have and what are the things where we hold more power and less power than clients and how is that impacting what our transferences are what our counter-transferences are and things like that and then I mean I think it's really unique that at the music project we we do have a staff that is so supportive and where, I mean, I think about half of our therapy team is non-binary. So I think that's special too, that sometimes people are coming from schools where they've been the queer student who had to be like, hey, everyone, did you know (laughs) about asking about pronouns? And they, like, fight this sort of dominant, like, huge bureaucratic system, right? And so then to come to this this little bubble, (laughs) like, you know, a space where there are so many shared identities and so much shared language and stuff like that can just create this kind of greenhouse feeling where um, that identity is allowed to blossom it's not something where it's like you know having to push and fight to exist we can't ask people to sprout if they're in an environment where they'll be trampled on or where there's like acid rain that's going to come down as soon as they pop their head up and so the best ways that we can foster identity development and foster people feeling safe to present the identities that they have and may already be aware of is by having that nurturing environment so that once someone sprouts, 
there is that sunshine and rain and, you know, warm, safe environment to grow. And for me, SCMP has been a space like that. And I think other people have experienced that too. Yeah. I mean, one of our actual official core values is that like we affirm people as they are in their most authentic ways of being and absolutely that goes for anybody that has a queer identity that maybe isn't activated yet and Mm -hmm. they're still evolving and forming and at a very like early stage because everybody should be evolving forming but that also goes for for other types of identities Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like our staff is a wide variety and mix of like things that make us who we are and mm-hmm. so yeah for for students that are looking to do their internship here like yes we want to affirm like all of your identities even if mm-hmm. you're even if your identity maybe isn't queer mm-hmm. maybe you have other identities that are still in in progress and you would like to grow those like this is the safe space for that to happen and for general community members that are looking for mental health support or any other kinds of support that we can provide like that is also available Mm -hmm. to clients and to their families it's not reserved just to people that have a badge when they come into the building We are running to the edge of time for today's episode, Um, Mm. but I just have a a couple more things I want to ask you. One is that for anybody that's listening that is maybe looking to receive services or wants to apply for our internship program Mm. or is maybe still in their degree program and doing clinical hours or practicum hours and they have a queer identity, whether open or unactivated what wisdom would you give like <laughs> to those people which I feel like it's a really cliche question but like yeah, that's no. part of the mentorship process is like passing on things you've already learned yeah and I think also you know like you don't have to be at the music project to have queer community in your work and to sort of find affirming spaces I personally am really passionate about just connecting with, you know, young, like, music therapy students in general, particularly of queer identities, and my information is available through the podcast and through our website. There's Facebook groups that exist for LGBTQ music therapy students and professionals. There's also a trans and non-binary music therapists and students Facebook page. So there are ways of building community in like that. There's, yeah, there's pockets everywhere. And I think that the pockets of community are really what, for me, help make some of the more dominant spaces survivable or okay to exist in-able. If people are interested in internship with us or in more direct involvement, they can email our informational email, info at scmusicproject.org. Maven Gumbel is a non-binary music therapist who's doing really awesome stuff with voice work and trans identities and just is important to me as a person and their existence and their work is part of what 
kind of invited me into recognizing my own non-binary identity. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So the resources, we will send them to me and they'll be in our episode notes on our website. Our website is S is in Sam, C is in cat, musicproject.org. Uh, you can also follow us on all major social media platforms, SC Music Project. Next week, we will be back and we'll talk more about the clinical work that he does with LGBT groups and then also thinking about how queer identity shows up in non-queer specific spaces and what mm-hmm. that looks like. So thanks, V, for being here today. And thank you listeners for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Yes, thanks, Erica.